Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a fun show for you today, as if any show in which we're going to be talking about coronavirus could be fun, but actually it is. Unlike most of the things, I'm not going to be giving you any statistics about how many people tested positive or died in the last two minutes. Those things um, are so destructive to all of us. Um, it is the, the typical kinds of things that we see in the media are stressing us out. And what is wrong with that? Stress weakens the immune system in addition to doing all kinds of, wreaking all kinds of havoc on our bodies and our minds. No, today we are going to have fun because you're going to be able to figure out which personality type are you. We're talking about reopening America, how your personality type determines what you'll do when America reopens. How do you like that? <laughs> I told you it was going to be fun. Um, every different states and different cities and different counties are all coming out with different plans for um, when they're going to reopen, what they're going to reopen, uh, what they're going to close again, and so on. It's really one big mess. You would think in all of America... Uh, that we could come up with some better plan based on uh, science that we agree with than what has been happening. And really, the problem isn't science. I mean, yes, we're still learning about the coronavirus. We don't really, you know, we have a lot to learn about it because it's new. But the problem is deeper than that. It has to do with politics, and it has to do with who's going to make money from certain drugs, and who's going to make money from the upcoming vaccines, and so on. You know, that, and that's a large part of the problem, why it's a mess, because there are all these different competing interests. And, of course, one of the most uh, determining, determ- the, one of the re- things that determines most when your particular place is going to open is how much of a despot <laughs> your mayor or governor is. Um, people who have gotten a little too drunk with power. But today, um, you know, since wherever you live, it will hopefully be reopened at some point in the near future. So I thought we would talk about how your personality uh, is going to determine how you're going to react. When they finally give the all clear, what are you going to do? And I have divided the potential personalities into five. I mean, the personalities in, in, in this regard, in regard to reopening, there are five different types. Now, what if we gave a reopening and nobody comes? That, of course, could happen. Um, and in fact, depending upon your personality, that might be what you would do. Um, so now, I'm going to tell you about these five different types. And I want you to think about which type you are, first of all. And then you can think about which type your family members are, your spouse, your children, 
um, cousins, mother, father, and um, what about your friends, and what about your business associates? So it's kind of fun to think about how everybody you know (laughs) is going to react to um, the reopening. And I have, uh, to make this easier to visualize, I have together names for each of the five different types, names of animals for each of the five different types so that you can really uh, visualize what this kind of person is like. So let's talk about the first type. The first type is the mouse, okay? Uh, You've heard scared is a mouse, scared like a mouse. (laughs) We also get scared of mice. (laughs) But mice, uh, you know, we think of mice as being little scaredy, animals who run away um, when people start coming or, you know, anything is coming towards them. So the first type is the mouse, and these are people, the personality is someone who is immobilized with fear. So are you scared like a mouse? Um, Now, if you are, I mean, wait to hear the description, and then you'll be able to figure it out. When the restrictions are uplifted, when the lockdown is um, uplifted to some degree or another, surprisingly, there are going to be a number of people, you know, we think about it as because of the protests and so on, we think about it as the whole, everyone in America is just uh, at their doorstep dying to have this uh, big door, you know, like, uh, like a castle door with a moat and all that, lifted so that they can go running out into the world. Well, um, there are going to be some people who, when that castle door opens, are going to be afraid to go out because they have been conditioned by the media to be afraid, be very afraid, and... um, since we've been getting from the beginning conflicting and contradictory messages about how safe this is, how safe that is, whether we shouldn't wear a mask or not, whether we should wipe down groceries or not, all different kinds, how many feet we should be away from each other and so on. We've been getting so many different messages uh, and one day one message from the same person and then the next day a different message from that person. So it's hard to trust anyone. It's hard to trust the politicians, the mayors and governors who are not doctors or scientists. So, you know, the idea that they're telling us what to do is kind of ridiculous in the first place. And then um, there is no consensus amongst doctors and other scientists. So some people are afraid to believe that they won't get sick if they go outside. So that's number one, the mouse, immobilized with fear. Now, number two is a frog. I'll tell you why a frog. There was, once upon a time, a real experiment. I learned this in Psych 101 in college. And it was an experiment um, where uh, they put a frog in a pot of water, and they found that if they raised the temperature of the water quickly, the frog jumped out. You know, if it it started boiling, the frog was smart enough to figure out that he'd better get out of there. 
But if um, they raise the temperature of the water really very, very slowly, the frog doesn't realize that he should jump out before he boils. And that um, is called, that is used, this experiment was used to describe a phenomenon called learned helplessness. So these are people, or frogs, who, um, who have learned that um, they're not going to be able to get out of their situation. There is no uh, point to, um, to, to try. And so the people who have this learned helplessness, people who are like frogs, um, are people who have been made to stay inside their homes for so long that they don't realize how destructive it's been to their psyche. And they're afraid to save themselves by jumping out. Okay? Then the third type is the mule. The mule represents people who are defiant. Uh, these are people who are so angry at authority, the, you know, the governors and mayors and so on, who are telling you what to do, that um, their, their anger at authority is stronger than their fear of getting sick. And these people will rush and jump outside and flock to places that have reopened uh, purposely, ignoring wearing a mask and social distancing with defiance and glee. So it's not like they're just happy to go out, get out finally. It's that they are going to make, they're going to show <laughs> the authorities that they are going to purposely not wear masks and, um, and, and stay, you know, stay very close together and so on, not listen to any of the rules. And uh, I, the example is in California, people who have been going to the beaches, there are some, you know, there are different rules for different beaches as to what you're allowed to do. And so there are some who um, jump at uh, the opportunity to get out and they go, went to the beach and they were so, they wanted to show how defiant they were. And so even though we weren't allowed to actually sit on the beach, we only could uh, walk or take a bicycle or, you know, swim, something like that. These people purposely sat themselves down really close to their friends and, um, and, and were defiant and, you know, just sat there without masks and so on. Now, the fourth type of personality is the ostrich. These are people who have their head in the sand. These aren't people who rush out uh, to be defiant to authority. These are people who stroll out, smiling, happy to take risks because they believe that they're invincible. Um, they're in denial of their own mortality. So it's not defiance, but it's like, hey, you know, this is cool. I get to go out. Nothing can touch me. Some of them even believe that coronavirus has been a hoax. And last but not least, the fifth type of personality is a bear. And these are people who are the walking wounded. They stumble out into the light when the doors are open. They have become numb with quarantine fatigue. So just like the bears 
go into hibernation. They go into sleep in their cave. These are people who have essentially been hibernating in their homes and come out, you know, sleepy, rubbing their eyes. You've seen pictures in, in storybooks of bears, you know, rubbing their eyes as they kind of walk out into the light and uh, confront the world, see, see what the world is like um, for the first time. And so these are people who have given up trying to figure out who's right in terms of coronavirus, you know, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and what's best for themselves. They're feeling a combination of many different emotions and predominantly sadness because these are people um, who are sad about what they lost, a job, a relationship, their time, their health, or even, for some of them, a loved one. So again, these five different types of personalities are uh, a mouse. These are people immobilized with fear. A frog, uh, people who have learned helplessness. There is no point, don't understand the point of getting out. Um, they've they've, uh, ha- they've um, not realized how destructive it's been to their psyche. The third type, a mule, who are defiant. The fourth type, an ostrich, who are in denial of their own mortality. And they stroll out. And then the bear, number five, these are the walking wounded. These are people who stumble out into the light and they are feeling sad over things that they have lost while the world was in quarantine. All right. Um, you figure out who, which type, which animal you are and which animal your family members are. And then, and your friends and your coworkers, and then you can find like people, you know, people who are the same animals as you, and um, and you can go out in the world together. You can either comfort yourself if you're uh, if you're if you're two little mice <laughs> immobilized with fear, or you can be two mules together defiantly rushing out into the world and, and throwing off your mask or not taking your mask from home, that kind of thing. All right, let's talk about another uh, aspect of coronavirus that's in the news. And um, this is something that is on the mind of lots of parents. Um, if you have a child or, or if you... Um, you know, maybe you're a grandparent of a child or you know a child. Um, if you can, are a parent or you can give your two cents to a parent um, about whether their child should return to school and, and how it should be when children return to school, um, this, is, this is my advice about what you should think about. And my advice is that all parents should hold their children back a year. In other words, they should have their child repeat the year. Now, I know that some of you listening to this are thinking, oh, no, you know, I want my child to get ahead in the world, so I don't want to hold him back. Lose a whole year? What? Especially if you're paying for private school, that might be a consideration. But let me tell you why I advise that you should hold your child back the year. 
Um, this is because this year has been an almost total loss because kids were not able to learn sufficiently through Zoom or any other kind of makeshift teaching strategy that their school might have adopted. First of all, there are a lot of kids who don't have computers and who weren't able to watch classes through Zoom or through some other way altogether. So, I mean, they have missed out on half a year of school. Now, if a child, uh, and then the other children, you know, I think most children will have seen something on Zoom, um, sharing, you know, there. I know there were organizations who, that were, or, or benefactors who were donating um, uh, computers and so on to help kids who don't have computers. So there, there were a lot of kids who did manage to see their teachers on Zoom. Um, and even those children, I am saying, should be held back a year. And this is because even if your child did get to see their classes on Zoom, all of the children who I know and who I'm treating, their families that I'm treating, and all the different ways that I am in touch with children, a lot of children, none of them have been involved with their lessons. You know, they all, none, first of all, it's very hard for kids to learn from a computer. You know, we're talk, I'm not talking about college kids, although quite frankly, it also, I get the same uh, feedback from college kids who are, saying that um, it's been very hard for them to learn their courses through Zoom. Um, but especially for kids less than, you know, from elementary school, uh, middle school, and high school, they are, they, they've had it. They, they're just not into it. And um, yes, some of them, you know, there, there have been homework assignments, uh, and some of them have made attempts to turn in some homework, but it is also, it is um, all, the assignments that they've been turning in have really been below par. I mean, it is a big exception for kids who are doing the same kind of job, as good a job, uh, with their homework as they would have done if they were actually sitting in a classroom. Because it is much harder to learn on a computer. It is much harder to learn when you don't have a teacher standing in front of you and able to communicate with you, able to look you in the eye, able to talk to answer your questions, able to more easily. I know some there are some classes you've been able to sort of send in questions and so on, but it is not the same as raising your hand in class and getting the answer right away. So no matter what end of the scale you're on, um, you know, in what I've just described, Certainly, the learning is not as good as if you were in class. And why does this matter? <laughs> you know, maybe you're thinking, ah, it wasn't such important stuff anyway. Well, why it matters is, besides the fact that, yes, it's important, <laughs> whatever grade you're in, it's important. Um, and also, it's important because the next grade uh, assumes that you have learned what you were supposed to have learned in the grade before. Now, in some things, it might be a totally different subject, like uh, maybe in English you will have um, learned, 
you will read different books. But still, you know, there's a certain competency, even in English, when you turn in your essays, um, you know, just your writing and so on is corrected. And, and, and it isn't the same as when teachers talk about these kinds of things in class. And certainly math. Math is probably the most hard hit because uh, each year, each grade of math depends upon you having learned the math that went before. And other subjects, too. So, um, so if you um, repeat the year, you will, have, you will be able to learn what you were supposed to have learned uh, in the first go-around. Now, um, most kids, as I was saying, have been lost without being in class, um, not only because they didn't have a teacher in person in front of them, but also because kids are burdened with psychological issues from the pandemic and from being in quarantine, such as anxiety and depression, frustration, loneliness, and so on. And so it's not just a matter of not really paying attention to the, um, to the screen because, you know, it's not a live teacher. It's because your kids are distracted by all of these feelings that are quite overwhelming for them. Um, now, I know that some parents are going to be resistant to this idea, but it's mainly going to come from the resistance. It's going to come from the parents' need to get ahead, the parents' ego, um, rather than what is best for the child. And so parents need to understand that they're looking at this from their point of view and not their child's. Yes, there is pressure to get ahead in the world, um, and it may seem like repeating a year is getting in the way of progress, but it is ensuring that a child has a solid foundation to build their ambitions upon instead of getting derailed because of a weakness in the foundation. So if your child wants to be um, a doctor or a lawyer or a, a teacher or whatever they want to be, a writer, um, whatever they want to be, if they have this missing link, you know, this missing half a year in their education, it is going to hold them back. It's going to hold them back on aptitude tests like college boards, you know, getting the SATs and the other tests that uh, most colleges still use. Um, it's going to, and it's going to hold them back from every, every, every grade subsequent to this year. Uh, they are going to be, at a disadvantage because of having missed this at least a half a year. So please, if you're a parent, think seriously about all this. And if you know a parent or you're a grandparent, please talk to parents about this. Now, let me tell you about some of the other hot topics in coronavirus that I have been tweeting about, things that are, drive me batty. <laughs> Batty, get it, coronavirus. Okay. Um, oh, uh, that is gallows humor. Okay. Um, so one of the recent uh, tweets that I made, and let me tell you, I want to, you can join my, um, you can follow me on Twitter by going to Dr. Carol MD. So it's at D-R-C-A-R-O-L-E-M-D. Doctor, at Dr. Carol M.D. 
And if you go there, you will find a whole bunch of uh, very passionate tweets. Um, So, for example, I just recently tweeted about what had happened, uh, the, the story, the news report that I connected this to was um, the headline was Neil Cavuto shocked by doctor who calls hydroxychloroquine um, potentially good, something like that. Um, Now, Neil Cavuto is a host on Fox News and you would think, and this all of course came about because President Trump has just announced that he is taking hydroxychloroquine. Uh, and zinc, and that he's taking it as a precaution. You know, not that he has coronavirus or COVID, but that he um, feels, he's been saying all along that he feels strongly about uh, hydroxychloroquine, as have I said that. Uh, I'm not taking hydroxychloroquine. I'm, I mean, I have been saying all along that there are doctors who have been getting incredibly good results on their patients by using hydroxychloroquine. Now, in most cases, it is, uh, these are patients who actually have COVID. They tested positive for COVID, not so much as a uh, precaution. But in any case, doctors are, have made amazing um, recoveries in their patients through using hydroxychloroquine. And this all started with a doctor in France um, who did really who is the head of a, an infectious disease department. And um, that's on my Twitter feed. Uh, I have an interview with him. Yes, it's in French, but <laughs> you get the gist and you see all of the people who work with him and for him. And he's talking about the success that the whole clinic has been having using hydroxychloroquine. Now, the reason why some doctors in um, the U.S., Well, let me first tell you what I tweeted. I wrote, so Neil Cavuto, um, so the story is about how Neil Cavuto uh, started talking on the air about how President Trump just announced that he is taking hydroxychloroquine, and Neil Cavuto was like outraged. Oh, my God, that was such a stupid thing to do. I can't believe he's taking it. This is such a bad medicine. There are all these bad side effects. This is in his opinion. Um, and I can't believe, you know, this is so terrible that President Trump is taking it and telling the world that he's taking it, uh, like setting a bad example. So I tweeted, uh, when did Neil Cavuto get his MD? You got to admire POTUS, the President of the United States, if um, for nothing else he walks his talk taking hydroxychloroquine um, Let's see. I have made previous tweets before. I've tweeted before about doctors, that doctors must have the right to prescribe and patients have the right to consent. It's time to investigate who's making money from other drugs and the vaccine to come. Fauci, question mark? So, okay, here's my point. First of all, as I said, you know, there have been not just the doctor in Paris or France, but um, there have been other doctors in the U.S. who have been uh, getting these fantastic results. 
but you don't really see them in the news. There have been two. One, well, one, this is what happened with Neil Cavuto. So he asked the doctor who um, was his guest, and he was expecting this doctor to say, oh, yes, you're right. It's so terrible that Trump is using hydroxychloroquine. And instead, the doctor said, no, I think that that's fine, and I have been giving uh, hydroxychloroquine to my patients, the doctor said, and I've had good results. So Neil Cavuto was uh, shocked and he got, was getting progressively angry. He kept asking these questions, kept saying things like, oh, but there are all these bad side effects. And, you know, and the doctor just wouldn't budge because this is a doctor who has prescribed hydroxychloroquine to um, their patients and saw good results. So they weren't going to back down. So um, what is all of this? I mean, I've talked before on this show about about hydroxychloroquine and how, yes, um, you know, well, first of all, it's, uh, there are a number of different issues. You know, number one is, there, look at all the patients who are dying because they are not getting access to hydroxychloroquine. That's the worst part of this. Because some states have threatened doctors with removing their license if they prescribe this medication. And so, and they've made, some states have made it that they can only, doctors can only prescribe this if the patients are in the hospital. Now, the problem is that if you only prescribe a medication to people who are so sick that they're in the hospital, some on their last legs, and then if they don't get cured, if they die, then what's been happening is um, these people who don't want to believe in hydroxychloroquine say, you see? Look at this. They gave this drug to patients and the patients died. This is a bad drug. Well, no. It's because you're limiting the patients who can get this drug to patients who are on their last leg, you know, right before they're going to die. And you just kind of throw this at them at the last minute. But doctors who have been giving uh, this drug to patients before they're on their last legs and before they get into the hospital, and again, this depends upon what the rules are and, and what. It's governors and it's um, mayors and so on, people who are not doctors who are making these rules. Um, so, but there are some doctors who have been able to give their patients, like the doctor who was on Neil Cavuto, and who was able to say, no, I've gotten great results. So um, why then are there people besides, you know, some mayors and governors who like to hear themselves talk and who like to um, make rules, you know, like to flex their muscles to make rules, um, why are they doing this? Why are they keeping this from patients? Well, most of it has to do with politics. And that is, it it is such a, a dark day in America that, Something like this could happen, that doctors who go to medical school for years and learn all about the body and know a hell of a lot more than any mayor or governor um, aren't allowed to do what they think is best for their patients. So besides it being, you know, these um, death bots, you know, flexing their muscles, why else? Well, uh, because there are some doctors and there are some researchers or scientists who are saying that it's not good, um, like Dr. Fauci. Uh, Why? We need to look, there needs to be a deep investigation into who exactly is saying that um, 
that hydroxychloroquine is not a good drug. Now, hydroxychloroquine has been uh, okayed by the FDA um, ages and ages. I think it was 50 years ago. It's, it's many decades ago as primarily a malaria drug, but it is also used for other things like Lyme disease, like uh, arthritis, like um, all, all kinds, like lupus. And I know people with these kinds of diseases, and I don't know anybody who has had a bad reaction to hydroxychloroquine. Now, that isn't to say that you can't. I mean, every medication has side effects, but um, just like any other medication, you can screen, like one of the side effects of this is that you can have an arrhythmia. So you screen your patients, you do an EKG on them to make sure that they don't have any heart abnormalities. So, you know, it's follow the money. You have to see, I mean, follow the politics and follow the money. You have to see who, why it's in these people's best interest to put down hydroxychloroquine. So I, I was starting to say hydroxychloroquine is a medication that's been around forever, approved forever um, for these other kinds of illnesses. And, um, and so it is a generic medication now. In other words, it has gone past the time of it being a brand name. That means that it is relatively cheap. You know, I'm sure you've had this experience when a medication, all, all kinds of medications, you know, medications are put out by a pharmacy company, a drug company, and for a while they have a patent on it. And so it, it's a brand, and they can charge essentially whatever they want for it. But after a certain amount of time, they are not allowed to corner the market on it, and it becomes... Um, a generic, in other words, not a brand. It's just a the chemical name, um, and so so. In other words, nobody is making a big profit on hydroxychloroquine, except maybe now if someone was allowed to. You know, certainly. I mean, I wonder how many people are now going to rush out and try to get it uh, because the president of the United States is taking it. But in any case, and I'm, I'm not saying that necessarily it's a good idea to take it as a preventive measure, I think I mentioned that, um, but I do say that this medication, like any medication, you know, when a doctor wants to give a patient a medicine, even as a psychiatrist, when I want to give a patient a, a psychiatric medication, I tell them which medication I think is best, I tell them why, and they have to consent to it. I mean, they don't have to, but I mean, they, if they don't consent to it, obviously I don't prescribe it. But I tell them the benefits and the, uh, the cost-benefit. You know, what's going to happen if they don't take it? What happens if they do take it? What are the possible side effects? That kind of thing. And then there are, in psychiatry, there are other medications, like there's lots of antidepressants, for example. So you don't have to take a specific one. But I explain why I chose a particular one. And then, um, you know, and, and they can, we have a dialogue. We have a conversation about it. But it's the patient's right to consent. Same thing with surgery. A doctor can recommend surgery. <laughs> They're not going to operate on a patient unless the patient consents to it. So these kinds of decisions should be up to the doctor and the patient, not a mayor, not um, another doctor who's, you know, like Fauci, doesn't have patients that are his, per se. Um, there, there are... Um, there is another doctor in Dallas, Texas, who, and I have that on my 
on my Twitter feed as well, and Yvette Lozano, and she, um, I have a video on my uh, Twitter uh, of her talking. She did a um, she did an event where she talked to people who gathered around to hear her, and she talked about why she and what what her results have been with hydroxychloroquine. And she's very passionate about it and very angry. She talks about how the drug, the font, when she would give patients um, a prescription for this drug, they would go to their pharmacy and pharmacies started calling her up and asking her why, what diagnosis the patients have because they were trying to prevent her from giving it to patients with uh, COVID. Now, and she would, she refused, at first she refused to give a diagnosis because she said that's, that's confidential. I mean, you know, you never have farm or before this, <laughs> before this craziness of politics, um, you never had pharmacies asking doctors what diagnosis the patient has. It's not up to the pharmacist to decide what drug a patient gets. I mean, if the patient uh, sues because of some kind of reaction, to a medication, they're not going to sue the pharmacist unless the pharmacist wrote out a label that gave them the wrong uh, directions, but they're going to sue their doctor who prescribed it. The doctor is the one who is ultimately responsible. So anyway, she then um, found a way to, she, she said, she told everybody, she's not like hiding this, she said she gave out um, other diagnoses, like I don't know if they were diagnoses that the patient also had, like diabetes or whatever. Um, or just diagnoses that she made up, but she certainly wasn't going to compromise uh, the confidentiality of her patients. So this was a major, major problem because um, it, it goes far beyond coronavirus and COVID. When, when coronavirus has passed, at least uh, in the same way that it is now, when it's passed, this damage to medicine, damage to doctors, is going to linger on, and that is going to be an even worse effect than coronavirus itself. So you need to, to realize that, unfortunately, we have to question, you know, <laughs> question authority, um, because there are people who are, everybody's, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but lots of people, most people have some degree of fear, fear of getting the disease and so on, um, but so people are, are acting with rash, uh, decisions and you need to take these kinds of things, um, to, to examine these kinds of things, whether people are saying things for political motives, for financial motives, um, just to flex their muscle motives and, um, and really think about all of these things and talk about it with the people you know, you know, your friends and your family and your colleagues, talk about these things. Don't just be like, <laughs> all like little mice, immobilized with fear. And again, the five uh, personality types that you need to see which one you fit in, into is the mouse immobilized with fear, uh, who's afraid, very afraid, doesn't want to venture out when they lift the doors. The frog, who has um, made to been has been made to stay inside so long that you don't realize how destructive it's been to your psyche and you don't know to save yourself by jumping out. The defiant mule, uh, whose anger and authority makes them go out and uh, purposely take off their masks and sit 
up close and personal with other people. The ostrich who has been putting their head in the sand and is in denial about their own mortality, so they saunter out or stroll out smiling. And then last but not least, the bear, the walking wounded, uh, people who have been in hibernation, in quarantine, and are numb with quarantine fatigue and sort of uh, stumble out into the light filled with all different kinds of emotions, especially sadness over what you have lost. Well, thank you for listening to the Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, I will be with you next Monday with some more animals. (laughs) No, with some more commentary about coronavirus, helping you to think critically, to think think things through. Don't be... um, don't just be directed uh, to, to follow all the rules that you're being told because, again, as, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, you know, my, one of my biggest fears for the world is that we are turning into George Orwell's 1984 where, um, where Big Brother is watching us, we have given up all our rights, and... Um, And that would not be a world that you would want to live in, nor I. Um, So please check out my Twitter, at Dr. Carol MD. That's Carol with an E. And uh, check out some of my other comments on all of the things that all of the headlines in the world, all of the news. Well, again, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I will chat with you next week. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.